It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only, call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 Three one three eight one four five six seven, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. Good evening and welcome to the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, Thanksgiving night, November 24th, 2011. Thanks for being out there listening to us on the Virtual Bible Study. Uh, we look forward to a good study tonight. Hope you had a good day. Most people had the day off and a good time to spend with family and friends visiting. No better way to end the day than spend some time studying from God's Word on this special day that we give thanks for all good things. And we are thankful for you and we're thankful for these opportunities we have on Thursday nights to be able to study together over the Internet. My name is Greg Gwynn. My son, who's usually sitting in this chair, Jacob, is... Uh, out of town tonight uh, visiting with family and so i'm sitting in the wrong chair and sitting in my chair is jim waltz jim thanks for joining us on the virtual bible study tonight good to be here greg we appreciate your willingness to do this and uh, hope we'll have some discussion will be worthwhile jeff is behind the the controls for us tonight we appreciate him taking time out tonight to do this as well you can contact us on the virtual bible study as always you can call in we have a toll-free number 877-381-4567. You can email us, questions at collegeview.com. You can get in the chat room and uh, put your opinions there, which is becoming the most prevalent way people give us feedback. We've got several in the chat room already looking for more. Uh, go to the show page uh, on our website and by the video uh, where you're watching the program, you'll also see where you can Join in the chat room. You can listen or watch things that others are saying there, but you can also participate very easily. There's a login block down there at the bottom. Put in your name and give yourself a password. You can set up an account very easily. You can give your real name. You can give a, a PIN name. We don't care. Uh, but join in so you can add your comments in the chat room. Tonight, for our discussion on the virtual Bible study, we... Uh, decided we'd discuss Christians and politics. Jim, uh, in the last week or so, you and I had a chance to talk about what might make a worthwhile study. And with the political season sort of heating up as we lead, as we sort of lead into the presidential election of 2012, a lot of a lot of political talk going on. And so it's worthwhile for us as Christians to know what should be our level of involvement. Right, and, you know, also today being Thanksgiving, it seems appropriate in that, you know, a lot of those who determined to come to the New World came because not only of religious persecution, but in many respects because of political persecution. And so you have the concept of religion and government, religion and politics, Christian and politics, so it seems like a, a good discussion. You did a little research you were telling me about earlier. Even when the colonies were initially established, there wasn't the kind of religious freedom that we enjoy today. In other words, there was political opposition to religious practice. There was political opposition and there was religious opposition. You think of places like where I grew up in Massachusetts, you know, you had the pilgrims, and you have a famous situation of one of those uh, individuals, Roger Williams, who did not agree with the particular practices, religious practices, but it was a law because they were a, uh, a religious you know, organization that also founded it. So it was a law that you either practice our way or not. So he goes to Rhode Island and they start, you know, I think one of the first uh, Baptist churches in America. But then in Virginia, it was the Anglican church and the law said you had to worship according to Anglican worship. Uh, in Maryland, I think it might have been the, the Catholics. In South Carolina, the Methodists. You know, So all of the different colonies and getting their start was a state-run almost concept of religion, whereas I think that's how part of the rationale came for our separation of church and state, not to have a state-run religion forced upon people. Uh, no establishment of right, religion right. by the government. So, you know, that's something that we take absolutely for granted. Right. But it's actually something that we should be thankful for uh, on a day like today in particular. We could be thankful that we have we have freedom of religion, 
that that the government does not interfere with our practice of religion, that we can talk, and that we are also free to talk about how our government operates in in relationship to the moral principles that we believe religiously. Right, right. And and you think about that from a standpoint, we we live in a country, and especially we have this day, the day of Thanksgiving, we live in a country that really does uh, remind us of the amount of blessings that we have. People in other countries, you can think about the people in Muslim countries, they do not have the right to worship as they please. It is a state-run religion. It's one way or the highway. And they you know? don't have the right to, to speak critically of their government either. Correct, correct. So there's much that we can be thankful for. So within that context, we want to talk about our our relationship to the government, keeping at the foremost our relationship to God. All right. Earlier today to our update list, we sent out the indication of what our program would be about and also some questions that would sort of tend to lead our discussion tonight we always remind you if you're not getting those updates you can simply send us an email to questions at collegeview.com and we'll get you on our update list just put in your subject line add me to the list and we'll be glad to do that but to those on our update list earlier today we sent out these questions number one what duties do christians have towards civil government we want to spend just a few minutes talking about that in a moment number two can and the second part, should Christians vote in elections? In other words, that's really a two-parter. Can you do it? Is it, is it authorized? Would you be doing the right thing or the wrong thing to, to vote? And then, if it can be established that Christians can, the follow-up question is, should Christians vote? So we'll talk about whether it's actually permissible and then whether it's advisable. And then the, the third question takes that yet another steps. Can and should Christians hold political office? Again, we want to know if it's an authorized thing. In other words, is it permissible for Christians to hold political office? If it is, what are some of the pros and cons for a Christian in public office? In other words, let's uh, let's assume that it is permissible. Would it be advisable? And then the, the fourth question we ask, how involved should Christians become in the political process? What should be our level of involvement as citizens, as Christians, in regards to the political process? Uh, a presidential election is is brewing. Uh, political candidates are out there. Uh, maybe there's some that I favor over others. Should I? Would it would it be advisable for me to get involved, maybe in a in a political campaign for a candidate or something like that? How involved should a Christian be? And along those lines, can you think of any specific individuals in the New Testament uh, from whom we might learn some guidelines as to the level of involvement that a Christian should engage? Those are the questions that we want to talk about uh, in the virtual Bible study tonight. Let's start out with the first one, Jim. What duties do Christians have towards civil government? This is a pretty general question, but if, if you're a Christian... You're obviously, I mean, you're going to have to relate to your government. Right, right. What, what should be our duty to relate to the government? Well, I think we talked about some of this prior to coming on the air. And, you know, one of the things we recognize is that there's not a lot specifically mentioned in the New Testament about our relationship to the government because general Christian principles help us to relate to all people. And so it's not specific in that the New Testament says, here are the things you must do for the government, but you're not obligated to do it to others, or here about your your workplace, but not others. We look at all of the things that are taught in the New Testament as an application for every realm. But there are probably some places we'll go more to than others, and I think everybody's going to first think about Romans chapter 13 that, that talks about those in positions of Authority In the King James Version, it says in Romans 13, verse 1, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained, established, set up, ordered by, of God. Uh, Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Will thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same, for he is the minister of God to thee for good. So we recognize that 
the general concept of government is something established by God for the general welfare of all people. And it doesn't speak of a specific form of government, whether we're talking about uh, having a monarch or whether we're talking about a republic or a democracy. It just says, in effect, that there are... Uh, the concept of government is established, it's set up by God for the general welfare of, of people, and we should respect that, that we're to obey those, uh, those laws. So we have a duty as Christians. Uh, in fact, I think it goes on to say there in Romans 13, verse 5, you must needs be subject not only for wrath, but for conscience sake. sake. Right. In other words, uh, do it because they might punish you if you don't. Right. But do it because... To have a clear conscience before God, you right. need to be obeying the civil authorities. Right. Well, it begins by talking about the fact that they're established, they're set up of God. God provided for governments to exist. And so if God for, provides for something, God establishes something, and we stand against it, we stand against God. Exactly right. First uh, Peter chapter 2, I won't take time to read the whole text, but First Peter 2, beginning verse 12 uh, it's, it says in that text, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to ki- as whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, for the praise of them that do well. For it is the will of God that ye with well doing may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. So again, another passage that suggests we are obligated to obey the laws of civil government. There would be a single exception, Jim. I mean, uh, an obvious one, and that's what the apostles said in Acts 5.29. We ought to obey, obey God, God rather than, than men. Right. If the government passes a law that, w- that, if obeyed, would force us to violate God's law, we obey God's law, not man's law. Right. And, and you know, we can think of any number of sim- simple examples. If the government forbade worship on the first day of the week, then, you know, we would know that it would be right for us to honor God and disobey the government. In other words... Any place in our life where the laws of men, however those laws come about and with whatever force they come, if they violate what God has commanded we must do in obeying him, then we must choose God's way and not the way of man. All right. We've got an email from Don in Antioch, Tennessee, who says, as long as our laws do not require us to sin, that's what we were just talking about, Mm -hmm. I believe it is our our Christian duty to do the things the law requires us to do, such as pay our taxes. A verse often used is Matthew twenty two twenty one. Jesus said to them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, unto God the things that are God's. And I and so I would add that to obey the laws, specifically pay your taxes. Right, right. It's very clear that Jesus taught that. You know, I have known in times past, Jim, of even some Christians who said, Well, the government's so corrupt, and they're using tax-generated dollars to support things that I absolutely cannot abide, like abortion, for instance. Right, right. I'm not paying my taxes. Right. Uh, I think the comeback to that has to be Jesus said under the time of the Roman government, one of the most corrupt, corrupt in history. Correct, correct. Pay your taxes. Right. So we're not. I think in saying that Jesus excused us from any accountability as to what they do with our tax dollars once we send them in. Well, and it's not difficult to think about how these governments were in effect used by God. You know, it's not difficult to think of someone like Daniel being sent to Babylon and having to deal with Nebuchadnezzar. And they clearly demonstrated their faith in God to the point that they refused to worship the idols. They refused to do the things that had been established by the government. And when they refused and obeyed God, they were praised of God to the point that Nebuchadnezzar learned that God was right and he was wrong. Exactly right. Um, One of the things that I think Christians can do... Jeff, we're almost up to a break, aren't we? Add this real quick. One of the things I think that that Christians can clearly do that is a powerful thing is pray for the government. Right, right. In fact, we you know we deal with that. That's often a, a thought when we're thinking about prayer. One of the things that we're to pray for, you know, Paul in writing to Timothy, First Timothy chapter two. Uh, He says in verse 1, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplication, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority. And he tells us why. He gives us some some reasons why, that we can lead a quiet and peaceable life, that we can practice godliness, that we can demonstrate honesty. And then he tells us that the, the final concept is because God wants all to be saved, and we need to pray for those opportunities to save them. I think that's exactly right. I, I wonder, uh, in fact, I would challenge us all as Christians, have you have you included that in your prayers? When you pray, hopefully you pray regularly, do you include prayers for our leaders? It, it is a, it is a, 
actually a command of God that we do so. Right. It's his will, therefore his command, that we engage in prayers for our civil rulers. Well, if, you, if you've not been doing that, I challenge you to include that in your prayers. I would add quickly one more thing. When we're talking about our duties to, to the civil government, uh, live righteously. Set a good example. Live right. morally. You know, the, the very famous statement in Proverbs 14.34 is, Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. We can be a tool to exalt our nation if we live righteously. Well, the whole point of our being Christians is to be salt in the world, to be light in the world. And that means that each one of us has the opportunity, outside of being in the government, each one of us has an opportunity to influence others and to strengthen them in their relationship with God. All right. Well, we're time for our first break. We're going to go to that break. When we come back, we're going to ask the questions, can and should Christians vote in elections? We need, to, we need some uh, scriptural evidence one way or the other. Do you believe that Christians can vote in elections? And if they can, should they? That'll be our question when we come back from this break. Stay tuned. The Virtual Bible Study will be right back. After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. Here's some quotes worth pondering. There are many in the church who do not add, but they certainly distract. Don't let what you can't do interfere with what you can do. Man, I wish I'd said that. I'm Dan Quillen, a member of the College U Church of Christ, with some thoughts about making plans. Have you made any different plans for your spiritual life and for your service for God? We spend time prioritizing personal lives and setting goals in our careers, but do we think in those terms about the most important thing, our soul? Ask yourself these questions. What am I planning to do for God today? In the coming week, what good thoughts will I accomplish for Him? At this time next year, where do I want to be in my spiritual life? In five years from now, how will I have changed, improved, and grown in my work for God? Ten years from today, how will my family be? How will I have helped them grow spiritually? Twenty years down the road, how will I be doing? As I approach death, what will have been the most important things in my life? Where will I be in eternity? Quit checking your email. The commercials are over and the virtual Bible study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. And we're back with the virtual Bible study. We're glad that you're out there listening. We want your participation. Remember, you can call in 877-381-4567. You can email us, questions at collegeview.com. You can get in the chat room and leave your comments there, and we hope you'll do so. Jim, we want to go to this question about voting. Um, I don't know if, if all of our listeners are familiar with it or not. I, I did a little checking. I was asking you and, and uh, in the same almost in the same breath, did a little bit of checking on the Internet. I had in, in mind that I remembered that the Jehovah's Witnesses, for instance, do not vote. Right. And I found a little reference here. Uh, Wikipedia says Jehovah's Witnesses believe their highest allegiance belongs to God's kingdom, which is viewed as an actual government in heaven with Christ as king. They remain politically neutral, do not seek public office, and are discouraged from voting though individual members may participate in uncontroversial community improvement issues. And so uh, that was, as I remembered, that Jehovah's Witnesses don't vote. They discourage their members from voting. Um, What do you think about that? Do you think, first of all, do you think we're authorized to vote? Do you think we can vote without sinning? Well, I certainly believe if we can pray for our government, if we are specifically told to pray for kings and for those in positions of authority, and if we're told to submit ourselves unto those individuals and work within the, the, the realm of government as far as obeying laws, then it seems reasonable that we, if the government allows us to participate through voting, and that's what we do in voting, we participate in uh, electing representatives to that government, then we're acting on what we're praying for. I think you're exactly right. Um, in, in regards to this question i think jesus's famous words from the sermon on the mount are applicable matthew chapter 5 beginning verse 13 ye are the salt of the earth but if the salt had lost his savor wherewithal shall it be salted it is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and be trodden under the foot of men ye are the light of the world a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel but on a candlestick and it giveth light unto all that are in the house let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father which is in heaven especially in regards to the idea of being salt we've explained this passage jim in in the sense that salt 
in such times was used as a, a preservative. Right, right. To, to keep things from spoiling. Right. And Jesus used that analogy in reference to our influence in the culture where we live. Well, there might be lots of, I think there are lots of ways where we can be salt and light, but I believe that one of those ways would be to vote for political candidates to help to put in place political leaders who would take a stand, a right stand, on important moral issues. And, and when you think about our form of government, it, it asks individuals. In fact, you know, in many respects, the government begs us to vote to determine who it is that we are going to send to represent us and our way of life to be involved in, in the government. Um, it seems then that thinking about this concept of voting, I don't know that we should say that uh, it is forced upon us from a, uh, a religious concept or a religious context, but certainly if God tells us that we're to pay taxes, we're to obey the laws, and we're to pray for those in positions of authority, then acting on all of those things is just a, a reasonable conclusion. I think that's right. Now, I, I would go further, and I, I want to read an email here from Don. Uh, I would go further to say that I don't think you're sinning if you don't vote. I, I'm, I'm saying that the idea of being a, a salt and light in, is there are lots of ways to pursue that. Right, I might right. choose to pursue that by, right. by voting. Right. You might say, well, I'm not going to vote, but I'm going to do other things that will serve as a valuable benefit to the community in which I live. Right, in other words, right. I can't say, Jim, you've, you've sinned because you didn't go to the election. No, no, I don't, think you can, I don't think you can go in that particular realm. Um, I do think that there are other things that individuals can do. People can work on behalf of uh, an organization, say, instead of a, a political candidate. Someone may look out there and say, look, I don't like any of these political candidates and my conscience won't allow me to vote. There are going to be other things that, that you can do. You know, it's like when we find any any realm, whatever it is that we're thinking about, there may be some portions that we disagree with, but there's always going to be some some way that we can act if we choose to. All right. Let me read let me read this comment from Don. He says, just as the act of voting is not a sin in itself, the act of not voting is also not a sin. I believe it all comes down to our reasons for choosing to vote or not vote. If a person votes just to vote without really studying the issues and how the candidates stand, then this is just as sinful as the person who chooses not to vote out of pure laziness or a I-just-don't-care attitude. On the other hand, those who have a Christian conviction that they should vote should respect the Christian convictions of those who do not vote and vice versa. While it is a privilege to live in a country where we have the right to vote, we also have the right not to vote, and I don't believe that one Christian should try to bind the other. I, I, I would agree. I don't think I can. I, I personally, I think it's a, it's a good way in which I can exercise a positive influence in the time and place where I live. And so I vote. But I, I don't believe that I can look to, to a, a person who says, I choose not to be involved in that way. I, I don't have any basis to say, well, you're just absolutely doing wrong. Right. And I've heard people say that not voting, when they look at the candidates and they cannot decide that any of the candidates are worthy of their vote, that not voting is voicing their opinion. They're abstaining because they don't like the ones that are available. Yeah. Uh, the uh, uh, In the chat room, Don says, you can let your light shine by not voting as long as you're ready to give an answer as to why you choose not to vote. Right. I chose not to vote, someone says, because I didn't believe that any one of those candidates took a proper stand on the issues that I believe are important. Of course, you know, if we're going to discuss this, you have to realize that there's not going to be any one candidate in any of these particular situations that's going to hold to everything we hold to. Just like as many Christians as we know and love, we all don't think exactly the same way every single time. Exactly right. Exactly right. Hey, I've got a, got a personal note to you in the chat room, Jim. Oh, okay. From a listener, T. Moles. Uh-oh. says, that's my uncle. Happy birthday, <laughs> Uncle Jimmy. All right. So you get a shout-out uh, in the chat room. All right. I, I think that that is the right answer to that question. I, I don't think that we can uh, bind the the practice of voting. I believe it is authorized. I, I can't find any. In other words, I, I, there's no place in the Bible that specifically says thou shalt go out and vote or that or you are permitted to vote. Right. There's no there's no specific authority, but I think it's generally authorized under the considerations that that you suggested. If we're to pay our taxes and to pray for our government and to obey its laws, 
all of those things would would infer that we are authorized to participate in the matter of voting. I mean, right. I agree. All right. Um, and, and and I would go further. I ask, should, not only can we, but should we? I, personally, I'm going to. I, I think we should. If someone says, "I'm a Christian and I'm trying to," I'm, I've been de- debating this thing back and forth. Should I go out and vote? I'm going to say yes. I think you should. I think I think it, it it is a privilege afforded to us. Lots of people, lots of Christians in other places in the world don't have that privilege. We have that privilege. It's it's something that we have an easy mechanism by which we can take a stand and have our voice heard. For instance, uh, it's, it's, I, I believe it's not our place uh, as as a church. It's not our place on a program like the Virtual Bible Study to endorse specific political candidates or political parties. Agreed. But I believe it is right for us to say, take a stand on moral issues like abortion, right. on same-sex marriage. Right. And so uh, I, I've made the point, I've made it in, in, in discussions in Bible classes that we've had here. I don't care what political party a candidate is, is, is affiliated with. If he's not right on abortion, I'm not voting for him. I don't care. I don't care what his political party tag is. If he's in favor of abortion, I am not going to vote for him. Right, and you know, you get in the realm of thinking about your own personal choices. As far as I'm concerned, you know, voting is the right thing to do. I'm going to find the candidate, and I'm going to voice my opinion through this participatory, participatory form of government that we have in trying to choose someone. But uh, again. Is it a situation where if someone chooses not to vote that they're sinning? No, but I think, again, you get back to that. If you don't vote, then you really shouldn't have the right to criticize either. Yeah. If you're not going to participate. Well, know. I might I might choose to not vote. On you know, In other words, so, that, so okay, here's, here's the field of political candidates. Yeah. And they all say yeah. that they're going to work to maintain the right for women to have abortions on right. demand. Right, right. I'm not voting for any of them. And I may just say, I'm not voting. I can't conscientiously vote for any of those guys. And and so, you know, know, but I believe that you make, as Christians, that ought to be the basis of our our voting. In everything we do, in everything we do, we evaluate depending on our relationship with God and how this particular activity, whatever the activity is, how it's going to affect our relationship and our ability to teach others and demonstrate the Christian life to them. Exactly right. In the chat room, John says, uh, John's in Edmond, Oklahoma, and he says, it may be good to note that it may be possible for a Christian to be in violation of his conscience if he believes for whatever reason that it's wrong to vote. That's right. We wouldn't want anybody to violate right. their conscience. Right. But as in all things, then what we probably need to do is, is ask, why, why is your conscience so? Right. You know, it, it, and, and someone, we may or may not be able to come to an agreement about that, but if, if, it's a conscience thing with them. There ought to be some basis for that conscience against voting. And I'd, be, I'd like to know what it is. Right, right. All right. Uh, John goes on to say, by the way, I do agree we can vote as long as the government allows us to vote. But it, it, may, be, it may be some do not have this knowledge. I think that's right. All right. Uh, we're almost to break time. Let's take this next break. And when we get back, we want to ask the question. And we need your feedback on this question. We want to ask the question, can... Christians hold political office. Is it authorized first? And if it is authorized, is it advisable? What are the pros and cons? If if it's okay, in other words, in the realm of authority, you, you can, without sinning, hold political office. Do you think it'd be a good thing for Christians to do? We want to talk about that when we come back from the break. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. Stay tuned. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. It is often the case that folks get excited about some new opportunity for work in the kingdom or some new method of service in the church. That, of course, is a good thing, assuming that the new suggestion is in line with the authority of God's word. In fact, it's a worthy thing to be looking for new and better ways to spread the word, reach lost sinners, and simply shine forth as lights in the world. But some of the same folks who can be so initially thrilled with the possibility and opportunity then seem to lose that zeal just as quickly. These are the ones who push for a new plan, but after it's been undertaken, they show no commitment for following through with the actual work. 
Unfortunately, this often leads to the complete collapse and failure of the effort. Or, it results in extra work being placed on the backs of those who were already busy and engaged in the Lord's service. Several warnings are found in the scriptures about this failure to finish what we start. For example, Jesus spoke of the shame of one who, quote, having put his hand to the plow, looks back, Luke 9, verse 62. And in the parable of the sower, he described those hearts that are like rocky soil who, quote, receive the word with joy, but quickly fall away. In contrast, he urged us to be of the sort that, quote, brings forth fruit with patience, Luke 8, beginning verse 4. Do you have an idea for a new class, a special work, or a unique approach for something that needs to be done? If so, that's great. Dedicated elders, Bible class teachers, and all Christians will be encouraged to hear your suggestions. If it passes the test of scriptural authority, and if others agree that it is a wise and prudent method to pursue, then all can unite together to accomplish the goal. But realize that once you've put the idea forward, you must also be willing to see it through. We need the applied energy of every Christian in planning and fulfilling the work of God. But on the other hand, we already have too many who start but don't finish important work in God's kingdom. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Jack Coleman, a member of the College View Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study, and we hope you'll tell others about the program. We're always open to your feedback concerning topics for discussion and suggestions as how we can make the program more effective. Drop us a line at questions at collegeview.com or call us toll-free at 877-381-4567. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. And we're back on the virtual Bible study Looking forward to your participation as we talk about Christians and politics. We remind you that the Virtual Bible Study is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. If you're in the Middle Tennessee area, if you're anywhere close to Columbia, we'd especially love to have you visit our services. Our, our worship times are Sunday morning at 9.30 and 10.30. Our Sunday evening services at 6 o'clock. We have a Wednesday night Bible study at 7 o'clock. We'd love for you to come. If you have an opportunity, please visit with us at the College View Church of Christ. We're studying tonight on the virtual Bible study about Christians and politics. Jim Walsh is uh, is with us in this study uh, uh, tonight. We appreciate you, Jim, for joining us. We're talking about, really, I guess if you're just going to put it into a nutshell, we want to talk. We're talking about how involved should Christians be in the political process, and um, that leads us to the question we want to talk about now. Can Christians hold political office? Our, our first consideration, Jim, is can they? In other words, is it authorized or, or would it be a sin if a Christian was in political office? Well, I think this kind of dovetails into what we were dealing with in the second question. We do not have a specific scripture that says you must hold political office or your involvement in the government must uh, advance itself to a point of political office, but we would find that it's not prohibited, and we could look at any number of examples of individuals who were involved in some sort of political office when they became Christians and they were not told to, you know, resign from that office. Uh, we can look at the fact that uh, in Acts chapter 13, Paul himself was involved in spreading the gospel, and he comes upon one particular individual, and this individual is named as Sergius Paulus, and it tells us that he was the deputy of the country. So he was a, a what we might think about either as a, a vice governor or vice president. And he was one who obeyed the gospel. It tells us that he, he ended up obeying the gospel. And so he was not told in any ways uh, to, to give up on it. So that, 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 That's the key right there. Right. Paul didn't say, well, now, if you're going to be a Christian, you're going to have to back right. out of this right. political right. job you got. Right. In fact, the last comment about him there was, uh, then the deputy, right. when he saw what was done, believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. He was still the deputy. That's right. He hadn't, he hadn't been told to resign that post. That's right. That's so right. I would argue that that's a, a, a good example, that it is reasonable uh, from an authority standpoint. And then you had another one that I hadn't remembered, Jim. <clears throat> Romans chapter 16. Uh, Paul mentions uh, in his uh, closing uh, salutations, in his closing, you know, uh, sending out of greetings. He mentions in Romans 16, verse 23, Gaius, mine host, and of the whole church, saluteth you. Erastus, the chamberlain of the city, saluteth you, and Quartus, a brother. So here's an individual who, as a Christian, is continuing in that public office. So this wasn't the case of a fellow like Sergius Paulus who became a Christian. 
This is a reference to a fellow who was already a Christian and still still holding, holding that office. particular office, right? So I, I agree with you. In other words, and he's spoken of favorably there. He it's, did. You know, Paul didn't out, say he that. You. Yeah. Paul didn't say that. Reprobate Erastus. Right. That's right. That's what a, right. That guy needs to repent. He didn't say that. He spoke of him in favorable terms here. Don had an interesting comment along this line in his email. He said, "I don't think we need to even worry about whether or not Christians can hold office." He says. Because in this country, a true Christian who campaigned as a Christian would never be voted in. <laughs> I think that there yeah, may be, a, sadly, there yeah, may be too much truth yeah, to that statement. I, I think you probably would be right. You know, it, even thinking about, you know, debates, if, if we followed Matthew chapter 7, you know, in verse 12, the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, you know, a, a lot of debates would be very kindly instead of the way we, we often see them today. Well, you know, I've I've thought about these debates, these the the Republican Party, for instance, trying to come up with a candidate to run against uh, Barack Obama, have been having all these debates, and of course, there's a lot of interviews that are held. In. I'm telling you, there's no humility in those things. Yeah, I'm right. I'm yeah. the best for the job. Right. You know, and yeah. I thought, I thought, man, you couldn't be a humble person. In That's right. Office. Yeah. Well, and and again, you know, maybe that gets into some of the uh, dealings of uh, the next question. What are some of the pros and cons yeah. for a Christian in public office? I think uh, on the first part of the question, I think we can say that there's nothing in the scriptures that I believe would indicate it'd be a sin to hold political office. But what about the pros and the cons? Maybe we started with what we were just suggesting. You'd have to be a very uh, almost proud, self-promoting kind of a person to put yourself out there for some offices anyway. Maybe not all, but some many political offices would require you to be a almost a, a proud, self-promoting individual to, to get the job. Well, my, my personal thought on this is it's going to depend on whether it's local whether it's state or whether it's national. Because I think as you move up, you're dealing more with a secular mindset. If it's local, you have local people you know about, that they know you. There's a trust factor already involved in that. But as you move, like, say, to the state level level, or then to the federal level, you you're really dealing with all groups of people and their concerns. And as a representative, you have to represent all those different people. And so you're going to have to bend your will to deal with some of the problems that exist out there. And my thought on all of that is that as a Christian, you're not going to want to bend that will. You're not want, going to want to say, well, look, the majority of my constituents, you know, for, let's use a far out example. The majority of my constituents believe that murder is right. You know, I can't stand up there then and properly represent them if I'm going to go against them. Yeah. And so I think as you move uh, further along in the political spectrum to the, the state level and then the national level, I think your uh, relationship as a Christian is going to be really put to the test. And, and I would say in that respect that it's a, it's a con, that, you know, the, the secular government and uh, the world in general is going to bear down on you much harder than you, you can imagine. I think that's right. I, I think you would have to compromise principles agree. in order to be elected and in order to stay in office. As you say, the higher the office is, the more it's going to require you to compromise on, on important things that you shouldn't be compromising yeah. about. Uh, even to the point, and I, I don't want to sound too jaded about this, but it seems to me that when you get to politics at the national level, uh, that it's just a pretty corrupt thing. I mean, we we, we hear about it. the news covers the corruption in our government at, at all levels, and it'd be pretty hard, I think, for an honest individual, as Don said, running as a convicted right, Christian. Right. It'd be pretty hard to even be able to do the things necessary to get on. And a, a, a ticket. I, I not only th- I only believe that, but I also think in just our general knowledge that we have of national parties, they're not going to spend all the money and all the resources to put forth a candidate that they do not believe is going to have an opportunity to be electable. And if you run strictly on Christian principles, um, I think you will honor God and you'll honor your brethren, but I think you'll be soundly defeated. Yeah, I think you're right, too. Let me back that down now. But even back at the local level, mm-hmm. I, I think there's an indication that there may be some powerful cons, in other words, negatives, why right. perhaps you should judge not to hold political office, even at a at a, a local level, because a, you, you got to think about the matter of your influence and your example, uh, whether people are going to think favorably of you as a result of what you've done 
uh, even in a small-time local political office, you're going to make some people mad. Uh, You may have to deal with issues that you'd rather just leave alone. You're going to have to take a position on things that really don't are not moral issues, but are are very charged or heated topics in a local community. Right. And uh, I, I just I would probably argue that even at a very minor local level, Christians have just got plenty of other things to do to keep themselves occupied that would be more effective in promoting the kingdom of Christ. Right. Than to hold political office. It's going to have to be a matter, obviously, of of personal decision, because eventually, if we were to go in that particular realm, we, you know, we wouldn't want to be in any position of authority anywhere because of all the things you've said. You know, I don't want to be a boss at work because I might have to fire people. You know, I don't want to be in charge of some particular uh, uh, activity at work because I might make people mad. So. In every realm, you know, we can't always make decisions because of what might happen that's negative. But I can I can understand your point, and, you know, that's my personal thought, too. I, I would not want to hold a public office because my thought is that there's more negative that can be affected as far as your relationship and what people think about you as a Christian and what people think of the local congregation because you're a part of it, because you've done something that they don't agree with, and now that everybody that associates with you they're just going to paint you according to the same and way. And I've known, Jim, even of situations wherein members of the same congregation ended up on opposite sure, sides sure. of local issues. Sure. And, and brethren were alienated over their their position on this political Well, you, you think of, you know, classic case like the Civil War. You know, oh, I mean, yeah. you know, you had brethren who were, you know, preachers who were going out on the circuit together, riding together, and when the war broke out, they were on opposite sides of the fence, you know, yeah. and... You know, that, that to me is a, you know, a sad situation. But again, it, it gets down to a personal decision as to how, how much do I really want to be involved and what is that going to do to my Christian influence? Yeah. Uh, in the chat room, John adds, uh, um, how often are leaders called upon to give misinformation or deny certain things? Yeah. yeah that's fairly common. In other words, plausible deniability. You know, it, it's to the point that if if someone said something one day and said the the exact opposite the next, a, a politician, most people wouldn't even bat an eye. That's what politicians do. Right. You know, so there's this investigation going on, as uh, and so, so the politician says, I didn't know anything. I never heard about that until yesterday. Well, we find out that he knew about it ten months ago. But so what? That's yeah. uh, that's what we expect. Of well, we do. We have almost, you know, in our society, a jaded view in saying we expect everybody to take money under the table. We expect everybody to lie, and you know, we have lowered the standards so low that when someone does come along and does tell the truth, we 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 just can't accept that. You know, politicians are held in so such low regard. Uh, for instance, you know, members of Congress, you know, all kinds of. Opinion surveys have been made as to how how people trust those in Congress. It's an incredibly low percentage of people. You know, it, it, the old joke is, how do you know when a politician is lying if his lips are moving? Yeah. I mean, and, yeah. and so as a Christian, do I want to be identified as such a person? I'm a politician. Well, you know, one thing that we often neglect to think about is what the scriptures present unto us as the best way for us to influence everyone. And the best way for us to influence everyone is not through some political party. It's not through our bank account. It's not through the number of people we know as far as being popular. It's by being a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. That's the best way we influence everyone. That's the way we influence family members. That's the way we influence people at work. That's the way we influence our our own brethren. It's not holding any special office somewhere that's going to help people to know the right thing to do as far as following Jesus. It's practicing these things in our daily life that's going to influence people for good. Exactly right. In the chat room, Anthony says, I think it'd be very difficult to be a faithful Christian and hold a significant public office. And I, I, I would have to tend to agree with that assessment. It just seems to me like you, you would be working at opposite goals 
as in other words, here's my goals as a Christian. Here's my goals as a politician, right. and they just don't they don't harmonize. Right, and we don't want to give the wrong impression and say it's impossible. Right, that that no one no Christian should ever run for office. We're not saying that. We're just saying that we can see a lot of pitfalls. And as you mentioned, a lot of times when a person's going to be put under pressure to compromise Christian principles for the sake of the office. Exactly right. All right, we've got one question left. We're going to take our last break here, and then we'll go to the top of the hour. Our final question has to do... Now, we've, we've talked about voting, and we've talked about holding office. We want to take this just a little further step and a slightly different direction, Jim. When we come back from the break, we're going to ask... How involved should Christians become in the political process? In other words, not necessarily holding office, but maybe promoting candidates or being involved in campaigns, that sort of thing. How involved should we become in the political process? And we challenge you to think about any specific individuals who are mentioned in the New Testament that might give us some insights along that line. So when we come back, that will be our question. We'll go to the top of the hour. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement. This is Monty Overton, a member of the College View Church of Christ. Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study. We appreciate your interest in the Bible. It is, after all, God's message to us. We thought you might be encouraged by a poem written by A.Z. Conrad entitled, The Bible Stands. It goes like this. Century follows century, there it stands. Empires rise and fall and are forgotten. There it stands. Dynasty succeeds dynasty. There it stands. Kings are crowned and uncrowned. There it stands. Emperors decree its extermination. There it stands. Atheists rail against it. There it stands. Agnostics smile cynically. There it stands. Profane, prayerless punsters caricature it. There it stands. Unbelief abandons it. There it stands. Higher critics deny its claimed inspiration. There it stands. The flames are kindled against it. There it stands. The tooth of time gnaws but makes no dent in it. There it stands. Infidels predict its abandonment. There it stands. Modernism tries to explain it away. There it stands. I'm Arthur Haynes from Kaleoka, Tennessee, and one of my greatest highlights of the week is to listen to the Virtual Bible Study. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The Virtual Bible Study. Take it away, guys. And we're back. We're going to go to the top of the hour, continuing our discussion of Christians and politics. We appreciate you being out there listening to the Virtual Bible Study. We hope you make it a regular part of your Thursday night routine. Just plan to be be online with us every Thursday night, 8 o'clock Central Time. Uh, I think one of the things that happens is that people sometimes forget to get tuned in. I suggested in the past that if you have trouble remembering, set a reminder on your cell phone and have it wake you up to this uh, just a few minutes before the hour on Thursday night, and so you can join us regularly on the Virtual Bible Study. Uh, in, in email, we have a, a response from a listener in Indiana who says, can a Christian run for office? My first thought would be, why? The way the news media runs a person into the ground with untruths and mud makes me wonder if a Christian would be able to do this. It would be a very hard strain on the family and the person's reputation, it would be wonderful for a Christian to run and win, but with the climate that exists today, would he or she win standing for what's right? And that's along the lines of some of the other comments we've had. Uh, and, and I think that probably would line up as another con. Uh, it, you, you would be putting yourself uh, in a position where people would likely lie about you. Your, your political opponents would likely want to lie about you. It would certainly strain the family and so forth. There's just I think there's a lot of downside to holding political office. Well, you know, certainly in looking at the way people are treated in, in the public eye through the media, we recognize that when something evil or negative is said, that oftentimes we choose just to refuse to respond because we, we recognize that, you know, we're going to, you know, we're going to respond to people uh, the, the way we believe we're going to be treated. You know, we often think of Jesus and what Peter said in First Peter chapter 2, that, you know, when he was reviled, he reviled not again, you know. But what we find in our political climate is that if you're silent, they believe silence is consent. Yeah. And so you're just put in a position where you're just going to have to constantly give. You have to respond to everything. everything. Said. Yeah. And, you know, who wants to be involved in doing that? Yeah, you know? I agree. Uh, in the chat room, uh, Anthony says, I think the best point that's been made on this question is the Christian has much better things he can do with his time to better the kingdom. Don, uh, Don says, if we agree that all politicians lie, 
then are we at risk of being a respecter of persons if we choose one liar over another, which I think is a <laughs> funny question, but appropriate. Uh, Anthony responds, not that I can see uh, the educated voter would still be choosing based upon the policy positions of the candidate, not on prejudice and so forth. So interesting discussion going on there. We've got one more question we wanted to deal with. Okay, I, I think I can vote, Jim. Right. I actually think I should vote. I'm going to vote. I th- second question, political office. Can I hold political office? I think I can, but I think I won't. My right. judgment is right. I won't. Finally, how involved should I get in the political process? In other words, uh, you know, some people get really wrapped up in this. I mean, they spend a lot of time maybe out knocking on doors for a candidate, uh, you know, attending political rallies and just really getting on the bandwagon, so to speak, for a particular candidate. Um, What do you think about that? Do we want to do that? Well, you know, in looking at these questions, you know, we dealt with the first question. I think that was real easy for us to understand and agree on because we have scriptures that deal with it. The second question we come to as a conclusion because of those scriptures we dealt with in the first question. The third question gets a little bit more difficult because we recognize that although it's permissible, I think you and I both agree that our choice in that is not to participate in that particular realm. How involved should a Christian become is really going to be up to the individual. You know, um, if there is a local, um, uh, some, you know, uh, something coming up as far as they want you to vote on something that's going to dramatically change the standard of life. You know, maybe you live in a dry county and they want now to go ahead and they want to be able to sell liquor in your county. You may feel, hey, this is something I'm really worked up about. I want to go ahead and knock on doors. I want to hand out leaflets. Uh, it's up, I think, to the individual. I think that question number four in dealing with this, I just said they can get involved as much as they want as long as it does not affect, first and foremost, their relationship with God, and secondly, their relationship with his people. Okay, I think that's right. I think that's exactly right. Um, going back to the chat room, uh, Don says uh, this is part of the whole problem. Too many un- uneducated people at the polls Instead of trying to get people to vote, maybe it would be best to discourage people from voting. Uh, uh, Sometimes Anthony says people vote for the most charming person, hence our current uh, situation. John says if if people spend as much time evangelizing for Christ as they do evangelizing for a political party, then imagine how much work would get done. I think that's a great point. Yeah, it is great. And because I've known of some Christians who I mean they go to all extreme. On a, on a political candidate or, or a, such a question, they hardly do anything when it comes to service in the Lord's church, which has obviously got your priorities way out of whack. Right, right. But again, you know, it's going to depend on if you have that liberty to participate, then you can choose the level of participation Uh, You can choose whether you want to send money to a political party. You can choose whether you want to fold uh, uh, leaflets or or whatever. You know, I think one of the things we talked about in the very beginning is thinking about the Occupy situation that exists, this this Occupy. and and The the Occupy Wall Street, Occupy, Nashville, Nashville, whatever, yeah. yeah. You know, are these people really demonstrating Christian principles? You know, whether you think about Matthew chapter 7 and doing unto others as you would have them do unto you, or if you think about Galatians chapter 6, you know, whatsoever man soweth, that you also reap. You know, are these people really demonstrating Christian principles when they go someplace and keep people from getting to their places of work and uh, when they take uh, and take over places that don't belong to them, in effect, you know, uh, leaving behind trash and garbage? To, to me personally, I can't see how any of these individuals can stand up and say, well, what we're doing, we can clearly point to as Christian principles that would make God proud. I think you're exactly right. So they, those folks, those Occupy people, would stand as sort of an example of, a, of at least a, le- a, a type of involvement, a level of involvement that Christians definitely wouldn't want to be I would agree with that. I yeah. would agree with that. All right. Uh, in the chat room, we have someone signed in as a guest who says, while Christians may disagree on some political options, each person must plumb the depth, depth of his conscience, hopefully one educated by the scriptures, and act consistent with his own judgment. I would agree with that, that 
Uh, and he goes on to say, ultimately, peace should prevail among the people of God. I would agree that some a, a good bit of what we've been discussing tonight, Jim, has been in the realm of things we'll have to make a personal judgment about. Right. There are some things that are, are either authorized or not authorized, but among the things that are authorized, there are things that we have to exercise our judgment about. And, and we've been saying right along, people will have to decide this. Uh, and as, as our person in the chat room said, hopefully based upon an educated decision, an educated conscience, educated in the Scripture. Uh, Jim, I ask, can anything specific or, or can anything, can we learn anything from specific individuals that are mentioned in the New Testament in regards to this political involvement question? Well, you know, the only thing that uh, I can think of, again, we mentioned, you know, Erastus, we mentioned Sergius Paulus, but one thing I think about is the disciples of the Lord that he called. He called Matthew, and it clearly tells us that he was a publican and that he was a collector of tolls. So he worked for the Roman government. But he also called Simon, and Luke identifies him as Zelotes, or Simon the Zealot, which we take to mean that he was for the party of the Herods. So he stood opposed to the Romans. So what you got there, among the 12 apostles, right? two guys on opposite ends of the political spectrum, Matthew worked for the Roman government, and Simon Zelotes would have been opposing opposed the Roman it. government. And Jesus chose both of them and asked them to follow him. So one thing I think about with respect to that is that not only do we recognize that the gospel is for everyone, it doesn't matter who you are or what type of life you lead, the gospel calls everyone to follow Jesus. But it also tells me that we can hold differing viewpoints, and if we follow Christian principles, we can still get along without fighting. All right. You know, in the case of Matthew, right. the publicans were noted for their corruption. Right. But in the case of Matthew, we'd also throw in there Zacchaeus. Yeah, in Luke there, 19, yeah. There's, there's a couple of individuals who were, who were doing that work and were apparently able to do it without compromising righteousness. Well, in fact, you know, looking at Luke 19, if I'm not mistaken, what it says about Zacchaeus in, in verse 2 is it says Zacchaeus was the chief among the publicans and was rich. So he was making a go of this business. And then, you know, he tells Jesus in verse 8, I give half of my goods, I give to the poor, and if I've taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. So he was a man who already was practicing certain principles that... Even before he came to Christ. Even before he came to Christ. He he was uh, doing the job, but doing it right, so to speak. Correct. Uh, And so there would be some... I I think what we would draw from those examples that were just mentioned, uh, Simon Zelotes... Matthew, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, that you can be involved in the political process. Now, you got to do it right. That's you, right. You, you've got to maintain uh, all righteousness in the process. But those guys were doing it, and they weren't. I don't think right. that, they, again, like we said earlier, there's no indication they were told, stop doing that. Jesus well, didn't well, say to Simon, I'll call you. But you've got to get out of this zealot party. I, you, you just can't be involved at, in those kind of things. Well, well, let's take a step back, though. But with respect to Matthew, he did stop collecting tolls. He yeah, left yeah, that yeah. job to come yeah. to follow Jesus. That's so right. in one respect, he was called away from that. But Jesus didn't come up to him and say, uh, Matthew, you're a bad man for being a publican. He just said, come follow me. In fact, you know, if I'm and, not... And Zacchaeus, he, yeah. didn't, he didn't tell Zacchaeus to quit his work. Right. In fact, it seems to me when we look at the account in, in thinking about Matthew being called, which I think is in uh, Matthew chapter 9, it just says, you know, that afterwards there was this uh, large, it said Jesus came to pass, he sat down to meet at the house and behold many publicans. And uh, there are many who believe that this party, this large meal was actually provided by Matthew himself. That Jesus said, you come and you follow me, and he did come. And then it says, it came to pass. Afterwards, there was this huge gathering and all these publicans there. So the the indication is possibly that it was Matthew inviting other publicans and providing this feast for Jesus. Okay. In regards to to what we should do and on what basis our judgment should be made, as a final note, I'd sort of point to Jesus himself. Right. Jesus lived in a political time. There There were a lot of political things going on during the time that Jesus lived. Jesus sort of stayed out of it. He did. You you didn't find him taking a stand in that. He just taught the righteous principles of serving God. 
And that's that's got to be our priority. It, it does. You know, in all these things, we've tried to come back to what is our relationship with God? What are we supposed to be doing according to his word? And in dealing in matters of liberty, we make a judgment to say, how can what I'm doing, even if I have a right to do it, will it affect others adversely for the cause of Christ? All right. All right, we're out of time. Jim, thanks for helping us out on thanks, the Virgin Greg. Bible Study. Glad to be here. Jim is moving from our area. He's been preaching in Mount Pleasant, but moving just in a week or two to Tompkinsville, Kentucky. Our right. loss, Jim, their gain. We appreciate you, and thanks for your help tonight. Thanks, Greg. Jeff, thanks for a good job on the board. Appreciate your work. Thanks to you all who've listened to the Virtual Bible Study on this Thanksgiving evening. We appreciate your involvement. We ask you to make a note Thursday night, 8 o'clock Central Time. Plan to join us every week on the virtual Bible study. We hope that you'll make it a regular appointment. Continue to study your Bible. Live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Hope to see you next week, Lord willing. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.